following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Great being in fellowship, right? Just coming here this morning, and um, I don't get to obviously hang out with Brian on Sundays ever, but it was great being able to come in and walk into the prayer room and really sense the presence of God really sense that God is here today, that God wants to do a work in the lives of all of us here, if we're willing to receive that. And I've been thinking about just the fact of how hot it is lately. You guys are all dealing with that, right? The heat that I felt in that prayer room was a lot hotter than what happens outside, let me tell you. And I'd encourage you, any of you who haven't ever been part of that prayer time, to go check that out in the morning before service, because I was blessed. I know you will be. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the body of Christ as one. And we're going to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. We'll pray, and then we'll read the passage. So if you guys would with me, let's pray right now and ask for the presence of God to fall in this place. Jesus, we just love you. Everything that you are, Lord, is so much better than everything we could ever imagine. God, the things that we look for in life, they just fall short of of your presence. Everything that you are that encompasses us, Lord, that enters our soul, that enters our spirit, that moves in our lives, is so beautiful, Lord. And we want to be the body of Christ. We want to live out the body of Christ. God, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit, that always glorifies Jesus in all things, would fall down on us, would fill us to overflowing, that we would hear from you, God. We need you desperately, Lord, and we're asking this morning for you to do a work. I I just ask, Lord, that if there's anything of me, Lord, this morning, that is coming out, I pray that you would just kill that, God. I pray that every word would come from your mouth, Lord, that it would be anointed of you, that it would be full of your presence, God. And we just ask for you to be among us. Bless this time, God. Speak to our hearts, our minds, our spirits, by your power and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, we're going to start at verse 12 and go to verse 27, so let's read. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This idea of the body, the body of Christ, is an amazing thing. And when we think about our bodies, the human body itself is incredible, right? We, we take advantage of it. We don't always treat it right. We don't always do what we should. And 
I've noticed that myself as I've gotten older. I've noticed that I just don't, I'm not as resilient. I don't have the same energy I always used to have. And because of that, I've had to work harder to stay in shape if I'm in shape at all, which I want to be. But lately, what I've been doing is I joined a boot camp. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this thing. But it's one woo, okay, so you guys aren't into this. But it, it is a good thing. It really is. They, they drive you to uh, beyond what you would want to do on your own. Let's put it that way. And before I started the workout, I had a thought. Don't you wish that your body could just exercise independent of you? Don't you wish that maybe when you were asleep or something that it just, you woke up and you're like, wow, I feel great. I just worked out. Or how about if you had no soreness every time you worked out? No hard breathing, no straining to do that last rep, because that's always what it is, right? When you're with a trainer, it's like, do the last rep. You're like, no, no. But you go there anyways, hopefully. But don't you wish that it all just happened? That it all just magically happened and we were in shape and everything worked perfectly? Well, I noticed something else when I started this program, that there's a cycle that takes place when you decide that you're going to work out. And the beginning of the workout cycle goes something like this. So the first day, the alarm goes off, and you're like, whoa, okay, I'm going to get up right now, but you don't really feel like getting up, or at least I didn't. I didn't want to get up. I was like, oh, man, okay, the first day. It's like five. I'm going at 6 in the morning, by the way, just so you know. So I'm waking up at 5, and I like to wake up early, but 5 I'm not really used to. So I get up at 5, I barely get out of bed, I go there, I do my thing, I, I barely make it through. I'm like, I just stink at this. The guy's like, no, no, you're going to be okay. I'm like, thank you for encouraging me because I don't know if I'm going to make this. So the next day comes, and I'm doing every other day, so it's not that bad, right? So the next day comes, and I'm sore. Like, I'm really sore. My quads, everything, because they're having you do all these crazy things. I'm super sore. And I just, when I woke up, to be honest with you, I just wanted to cancel I was like, what if I just call him and go, hey, man, I'm not going to make it today. It's not going to be a big deal. Other people will be there. It's not a big deal. But I know that I should go, and I know that it's good for me. So I decided to go, and, and it was okay. I mean, it was hard because I was really sore, but I went through it, and it was okay. Then, which I haven't gotten to, because by the way, I've only done two, okay? So <laughs> please pray for me. So I'm not like, I'm not like all out there, like Mr. like whatever, but... The next day, I would imagine that you would be not as bad as the first two, or hopefully, that's what I'm hoping for. And today, I don't feel as sore, so that's cool, and my next day is tomorrow. So the next day, you don't feel as sore, and you're a little bit encouraged, and you know you can actually get up off of the sofa without your wife helping you up, and so you're really encouraged about that. And then after that, the next time you go, your energy level's up. You feel good, you want to continue. And that's how it is with our bodies, right? When we neglect them, they don't tend to function as well as they could, or maybe they should. And I think that God has designed us in a way that is really amazing and that he's given us the ability to be so resilient. Um, I know that a lot of people suffer too, so I'm not discounting that. I understand that God has different plans for different people and he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen? So why then, when I know that exercise is good for me, do I really not want to do it? Is it laziness? Is it apathy? Is it busyness? Because for me, it was busyness. I don't know about you, but I have a lot going on. I'm, I have a job. I have a family. Um, I'm one of the pastors at our church. There's always something going on. There's never a day where there's nothing going on. In fact, I have to actually schedule days off where I don't take them. And I don't know how you guys are, but it, it can get hard. So the busyness was my excuse. Although, have you ever noticed that when you really want to do something, there's no excuse? Like if you really want to go somewhere, if there's a concert or a sporting event or what have you, you're going to show up, you'll make the time. But when it comes to things like that that are a little bit more difficult, you might skirt the issue, which I tend to do sometimes. So the problem lies with the fact, not that we don't know what we should do, but that we don't always live out what we should do. And the human body is incredible, but the human body also fails. And we live in a fallen world. Our original design has been altered. We know that there's a sin nature that we carry around with us. I don't like it. 
I'm sure you guys don't like it, but it exists. The fall took a toll on us. And that brings me to the reason that I really started this whole program, and that was my health. You see, because of the busyness of my life, because of the things that I put off, because of the things I don't necessarily take care of that I should, my blood pressure started skyrocketing. And one day, I told my wife, I said, I just don't feel right, you know, like, I feel really tired, I don't know what to do, I'm just going to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor, and my blood pressure is like sky high. He's like, of course you don't feel good. But I didn't realize that because I was just thinking, I'll just continue the same thing, and everything's going to be status quo. Nothing's going to change. But guess what? Our bodies naturally begin to break down as we age. And things happen to us that we don't always think of. So I know some of you guys are thinking, yeah, I know about that. My body's not the same as it was. I mean, not, none of us feel like we did when we were 12, but that's just part of who we are. Now, though Jesus has died for our sins, and he's defeated them in death and his resurrection... God did not choose to perfect us at this time. I want you guys to understand that. The perfection, this side of heaven, is not going to be there. But we are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life powerfully, not just walking through, not just cruising through, not waking up in the morning before the workout and going, I don't want to do that, but actually the love of Christ enveloping us and giving us a desire to live out this life, not by our power, but by his power. So isn't it great when our bodies do function well? And and I think that we're amazed by that. And the fact that I think we're amazed by that is look at what's going on right now. Any of you guys watch the Olympics at all? Anybody watch the Summer Olympics? Like, that's a big deal, right? So we sit there and we watch and we see people win and lose and fail and succeed and We see all this work, this four years of training come down to one event where it's all on the line. And we're amazed by that because it's not just your physical prowess at that point. It's actually whether you're going to choke or whether you're going to get hurt or all the various things that happen in our lives. And we're amazed at that in the sense that we all would want to aspire for our bodies to work together And especially, think of it in this term. What if we put the same attitude and the same love and the same passion into our walks with Jesus Christ, into our lives as the body of Christ, as those athletes do with theirs? What would that look like? So that's what I want to look at today. But before we do that, I want to bring out just a little thing that I noticed about the Olympics. And what, what was really intriguing to me was the women's gymnastic team. The women's gymnastic team was awesome. Did any of you guys see the women's gymnastics? It was amazing. They were brilliant, really brilliant. And you guys know that it's made up of five different girls. There's Gabby Douglas, Michaela Maroney, Allie Reisman, Kyla Ross, and Jordan Weber. They do four events, right, in this team thing. Now, each one of these girls specializes in a certain event. And we know that they're going to do better than some of the other ones. But we also know that this is a team and that all the points count together to make this team who they are and to give them the value or, at the end, the goal of of having the highest prize, having the highest point level, so that, that they would succeed. They would get the gold medal, right? Well, each one of them has strengths and each one of them has weaknesses. Now... On the vault, Michaela Maroney killed it. Like, I watched the YouTube video the other day, and I was amazed. She goes up, does this flip, twist thing, lands it perfectly. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, how did... I mean, it's just amazing how she was just so perfect there. And then Gabby Douglas, both on the uneven bars and the beam, brilliant. Great, right? What about the other girls? What about the other girls, the other four? Now, they weren't the top winners, were they? They didn't have the top point scores, but they were still part of the team. So we can't discount that. And finally, Allie Reisman won the floor exercise, which was also brilliant. So you took all this together, and you had their score. Now, although some of them had weaknesses, the strengths of those who did well balanced out the team. I want to say that again. The strengths of those who did well balanced out the team. 
Now, I want you to also think of it in these terms. The church is not that much different. The church is not that much different than this. Now, you might say, well, we're not working towards salvation. No, we're not. We have grace. We have Jesus Christ that has died for our sins, risen from the dead, and we know we have uh, uh, our salvation through that, and we live in that, right? But we also know that sometimes the church doesn't function as a team. Sometimes the church, sometimes we're just sinning, right? We're just sinning. We're not doing, we're not living out the things that we really want to. And I believe that most of us do want to live that out. I believe that those of you that have experienced what church is truly like in your life and have seen the power and the presence of Jesus Christ working in you have tasted that you don't want anything else because there's nothing better. I, I, I think of it in terms of music a lot because I love music. And, you know, you go to a, a concert, you know, that's just like a regular secular concert, whatever, and the music can be great, and, and it, it could be wonderful, and you could have a great time. But when you're praising Jesus, when you're in his presence, and you're singing, there's something that happens where God just reaches in and grabs your heart, and you know you're in the presence of God. That's where we want to be as a church, you guys. That's where we want to be. Excuse me for a second. I'm a little bit thirsty. It is hot. So when we think about these things, the church doesn't always use its strengths and weaknesses together to gain victory. To function correctly, a body has to work together in every aspect. We know that even though we're able to work together as a body, we often neglect certain parts of the body. And when we do that, it can become a little dysfunctional. We don't want to be dysfunctional. I can give you just a little pointer on this as far as the dysfunctionality, and we've all experienced it because of the S word that I talked about earlier, because of sin, right? Somehow it seeps in, somehow we become selfish, we do something wrong. Man, reconciliation reconciliation is the thing that kills that. That's the power that we have in forgiveness. But some of you might ask, why are some people weaker than others? Do we see them as members of the body of Christ? Do we see the weaker people as members? Do some of us want to possess gifts that aren't given to us? Do some of us feel superior to others due to the gifting that God has given us, which is funny, right? When you receive a gift, did you do anything? No. It was given to you. You received it. Do some see their gift as unique? I'm so unique. God needs me in this body. I'm better than everybody else. Do I look down on people because I think my gift is more unique? Is our goal to see unity in the body of Christ and victory in all of our lives Is that our goal? Church, is that your goal? I I hope that it is. And I know that you guys want to see that. So let's look today at what Paul says concerning this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at four aspects of the body of Christ. The body as one universal, the body as one in diversity, the body as one in unity, and the body as one in Christ. But first let's look at the body as one universal, universal, excuse me, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the body is one, and it's made of many members socially and ethnically, correct? So we know that social status and ethnicity does not play a part in the body of Christ. Now, we're looking at it from these terms, which are broad, right? First, we want to look at it from the broad term. And Paul brings that up because in those days, if you were a slave, you'd had no rights in society. If you were a certain minority, you had no rights. Is the world that much different now? It's not, right? We can all say, yeah, we love diversity. And, and I believe that as a church, we should. There should be nothing 
that separates us. Paul states this. This is a fact. We should be living this. But there are prejudices. And we need to really be careful of those prejudices. And when we see them, to kill them. Because they stifle unity. Prejudice always stifles unity. But each person represents a part of God's design created specifically for the glory of Jesus and the unity of the church. Let's look at it like this. Each one of you are many members in this body. This body has one church, which is part of the many churches around the world that make the body of Christ, correct? But each one of you has been created uniquely, individually, and specifically designed to do the will of Jesus Christ in this body, particularly. He wants to take everything that you are, all your giftings, all the things, even the good and bad, he wants to take them and mold them into this beautiful thing that the world can take and look at and go, this is what Jesus looks like. With that, we all recognize a couple of things. We all have unique qualities, so we all have unique giftings, don't we? Some of us have great, like when I was in the prayer room, I was like, wow, these people pray, man. They are like, this is awesome. And though we know all people pray, right? That's not necessarily one of the gifts, but there are some people that just, you're like, whoa, I'm entering the presence of God. Some people speak in tongues. Some people don't. Some people, you know, they're very various giftings, teaching, evangelism, all those different things. We're all different. Yet, we should all be embracing those things in our lives. We also know that each person is ethnically and socially diverse. So we're going to have people that are poor and rich. We're going to have people from different parts of the world. And there's no boundaries. So there's two things we do know. We're all made in the image of God. We're image bearers and we're all unique. And we also are ethnically and socially different, right? When I was in France, we, we were fortunate, my wife and I, um, we went on vacation. We got to go to France and Italy this summer, which was unbelievable. I've never been able to do a vacation like this. We stayed there for three weeks. By the way, please pray for Europe. It's probably 1% Christian. It's completely dead spiritually. In fact, there was one time where we actually had fellowship in those three weeks that we were just, wow, we need fellowship you know, and we really recognized what the need is in Europe. It, it's funny to think that the countries that colonized the world are now the least Christianized. So please be praying for those countries. But when we were in France, we went to this Roman colony called Nimes. And Nimes is on the River uh, Gard, it's called, where the Pont du Gard was. The Pont du Gard was a, a big reservoir system that the Romans used. Um, that brought water to all the different areas. But in, uh, in this area of Nimes, which, un, which is similar to all the Roman colonies, had the same things. They had a Colosseum, they had a Senate building, blah, blah, blah. They had all the same things. So you walk into this town, and it's exactly a replica of what it would be in Rome in a smaller microcosm. And when we were there, we went into the Colosseum, and it's probably, they say that it's the best-kept Colosseum in the world, and we were intrigued by it. I learned a lot about gladiators and all the things that you think you know, which you learn from movies and what have you. They're all wrong, just so you know. I was befuddled at how bad my knowledge was on all this. But the one thing that really spoke to me was what happened when the Christians came in. Now, what happened when the Christians came in is that they were blown away, because when the Christians came into that society... They, there was no more social differences. There were no more status differences. There were no more race issues. Slaves and owners were worshiping together. People could not handle this. They didn't know what to do. They didn't understand how there could be so much grace within a civilization or within mankind itself. Interesting that Christianity, in and of itself, is the perfect social system. Think of it in these terms, even. Uh, thinking about the Coles thing, where you guys go and you know, do the thing with the orphans, amazing. What if the body of Christ looked like that universally? What if we all were giving 
to the poor and the widows? What if we were sharing our resources with everyone? Would we need any kind of social system? No. The church would provide that. In fact, interestingly enough, um, I was reading a, a book on Aristotle one day, and he was talking about how in those days, in that time, the people that were wealthy were expected to pay for the things that took place in the city. All the events, everything. They didn't even think about it. No one asked them. It was just like, oh, this is what we do because we have more and they have less. That's what Christianity should look like in that kind of a sense. But the point of, about this is, is that the abolishing of social class, the abolishing of all of the things that we look at as far as race and culture and, and st- status, it befuddles the world. There's love behind that. And love is the thing that binds us together through Jesus Christ. That is not in the world. Now, I'm showing you what this looks like or what it should look like right now. And the next thing I want to look at, first we looked at the the many members, but the next thing I want to look at is that Jesus identifies the church as his body. It says in this passage, so it is with Christ. He's talking about the members of the body, and he says, so it is with Christ. Christ in the church form one body, which Jesus is the head, right? In Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about Christ as being the head. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, John 15. In fact, this is something interesting that I was pondering upon as I was studying. It is in the internal system of the plant that produces the visible fruit of the vine that we see the many parts work together as one. Although the plant is nourished from the outside by water, pruning, and care, it is from within that the plant flourishes. The body of Christ flourishes by the power of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us the ability to have fruit in our lives. We can't do that. We can't, you can't force fruit to come out, you guys. You can't be better. You can't do better. You can't say, today I'm going to get it all together. Come to Jesus. Become part of that plant. If you're not already, if you are, stay in that plant. What does it say in John 15? It says, abide. Abide in me. We need to keep abiding in that. The third thing we see is that Jesus is the building and we're the living stones. So he's building us up as this building, as this temple, right? He says that our bodies are the temple of God. How precious is that? That's why when I think about even the whole idea of this exercise thing, I'm like, wow, Lord, please forgive me. I'm lame. I mean, this is the temple of of you, and I'm not using it rightly. Please help me to do that. So Jesus sees us as working members on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the saints. This is where we really have to grasp it all, is that we're not doing all these things so everyone could go, oh, Nick, you're so great. Like, even when Brian's introducing me, I'm like, who is he talking about? Really? Like, I don't know, man, but whatever. (laughs) Bottom line is, is that we are all living out this life for the edification, for the building up of the body of Christ, that he would be seen on earth as being magnified, as being the beautiful Savior that he is. H.D. Spence, in the pulpit commentary, puts it like this. He says, As the body with its many members is one, so also is Christ. Here is unity and variety, variety of parts with the principle of unity underlying them, flowing through them, binding them into one connected whole. And Christ is that uniting power. It is the body of Christ, the body that was prepared for him when he became God manifest in the flesh. The human body in which the fullness of the Godhead dwelt, which grew from infancy to manhood, which was crucified and then transformed in the imprisoning tomb. This body has been withdrawn from the earth. Men see it no longer. It is glorified and immortalized within the veil. But he has taken to himself another body in which the divine energy dwells, through which the divine beauty reveals itself, which he is leading on gradually to a perfect manhood, 
the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That body is his church. Magnificent words, right? Don't we all just want to glory in that? And when I read things like that, I'm just blown away. I'm overwhelmed with what that looks like and what it should be. Now, we've seen the body as one universal. Let's look at the body as one in diversity. So point number two, the body as one in diversity, verses 14 to 24. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We'll start there. The body as one in diversity. So we've all been given spiritual gifts by God. And this section, by the way, in 1 Corinthians, is coming into the, a part where Paul is explaining to the Corinthian church about the gifts and how they work together. So I know we're just taking a microcosm of this today, and we're not going to be going expounding on this you know, as much as you probably would in a normal setting. But let's look at this as we have all been given spiritual gifts by God. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, it says that now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Many of us desire to have what we do not possess. And the fall created this. The fall created this too. We chose to take on positional significance instead of being who God called us to be. It's interesting when you think about this because it's not limited in scope. It's not limited to just the gifts. It's also limited to status and all these other things we were talking about. But let's think about it in terms of the Trinity. Now, in the Trinity, you have the Godhead, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have different roles. Do do they not? They do, correct? The Father is always the Father. He's always the head. Jesus lives for the Father. He's constantly submitting to him, loving him, and obeying him. Is he not? Yes. And the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit's position? To glorify Jesus Christ. He does that by empowering us with gifts, allowing the church to have the ability to live out the Christian life. And all of these three are one, are they not? Very similar to the body of Christ. Now, we can't say that dogmatically because obviously we're not God. But in the sense of metaphorically, we could say the church is kind of a microcosm of that. There are many different roles, many different things that happen in the church, but there's one church, one body. Verse 14 says, sorry, bear with me for a second. For, one, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Does not consist of one member, but of many. And verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So secondly, the diversity of gifts is not for the creation of exclusivity. So first, it's not for us to desire things we don't have, and it's not to exclude others. This kind of ideology leads to a couple of things. I'm going to give you four different things that I just noticed from this. One, superiority. You thinking that you're much more important than everyone else due to the visual quality of your gift. Why is it that everyone or a lot of people want to be the teacher or the worship guy or whatever, right? Because it's visual. They want people to think, wow, look how great I am. I'm up there, whatever. That's not what it's about. See, Brian, Pastor Brian's been given a gift of teaching. And you guys are all blessed to be under that. But others of you have the gifts of prayer and of ministry to the saints and of music and of all these different things. And these things are all working together to show us what the body of Christ looks like. 
So is it great that God's given him that gift? Yeah, amen. But we don't need to be the visual person. Do you not think that the person in the prayer closet is going to be counted as equal with the person that's teaching every Sunday? Do you not think that the person that is with the poor and the widow and the orphan is not going to be glorified much, maybe even more than the person who's singing in the worship team? Now, I'm not saying this unequivocally. Don't take me wrong. But just in terms of looking at it from those those points, these things are valid and we need to understand them. So secondly, what about covetousness? I want what that person has. I like their gift. I'm not really satisfied with mine because, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not visual or whatever we might think. Never content. Lack of contentment. Where does that come from? It's, isn't that a beginning stage of sin? Isn't that where we lose it? Isn't that, I mean, think about it. Even in the fall, do you think there was something there where they had everything and everything was perfect? Oh, but maybe if we were more like God. Maybe if we had more knowledge. Maybe, you know, if, but that's not what it's all about. Third, what about arrogance or pride? Same thing, right? These people in here are never going to attain the state that I'm in because I am the man. And you all just follow me. And because I'm so great, I expect you to do everything I say. And if you don't, you may not be following God's will. Is that godly? Do you think that that's from the Holy Spirit? That is not. Does that cause unity or discord? Definitely discord. How about pity? This is one that we don't think of very often. I don't have any gifts. I'm the poor person that never does anything. Really? I'm always reminded, and I remember this from long ago, thinking of Corey Ten Boom, who, by the way, went down this road, believe it or not. She was bedridden the last days of her life, laying in bed, and she asked this pastor, what can I do now? And he said, well, you can pray. And she said, well, I have no use of my body. I can't speak anymore. I can't do any of these things. Pray. She ended up taking that to heart, and God used that mightily, and she finished well. Isn't that what we all want to do is finish well? Because, guys, we can take off like a blast. We can just be skyrocketing, like people going, wow, what happened to you? Jesus is working in your life, and then not finish well, and does it matter at that point? No, we want to finish well. We want to be unified as the body of Christ. We want people to see the body and desire Jesus. We want people to look at our lives and go, how could Nick ever do that? Like, I know that guy. He's lame. Seriously, he's lame. So how can he do that? Only by the power of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Indiscriminately, by the way. Does God have the ability to do that? Yes, he does. He chose. He said, hey, Brian, teacher, you worship leader, you this, you that, you this, and this is good because I created you to be that way. Follow in my path. Obey me. We cannot walk in opposition to the design that God chose to create us in. I'm going to say that again. We cannot walk in opposition to the design in which God chose to create us in. Do all of us, sometimes we don't understand what our giftings are, right? Some people just are unsure. You know what I've noticed is that other people aren't unsure. They go, oh, yeah, that guy, he's totally, yeah, I could see that. You know, he's got this gifting. This girl, yeah, I just see when God's presence, when she's operating this gift. So other people see that. So we have no way of saying we don't know because ultimately we all are called and we all have giftings. We know that. The Roman philosopher Seneca, his name was Seneca the Younger, said, what if the hands should wish to injure the feet, or the eyes the hands? As all the members agree together because it's in the interest of the whole that each should be kept safe, so men spare their fellow men because we are born for heaven and society cannot be saved except by the love and protection of its elements. This guy's not even a Christian, and he got it, right? He got it. He got it. It's the love and protection of the elements. Do you not want to see the protection and guidance and love within this body just exploding out into the city, into the valley? 
into that new building you guys are going to look at tonight or do praise and worship music and, and all the things that are going on. Do you not want to see that happen? But we're in a dilemma. We cannot be one body on our own terms. I just want you to know this. You can choose, if you want, that you're going to go against what God's calling is on your life. But you cannot be one body on your own terms. There will be some kind of discord from that. We cannot have unity on our own terms either. And so many of us fall into this. We want to start our own little clique. We want to start our own little thing. We want to have our thing. And by the way, this is, it's not wrong for you guys to hang out and do your stuff together. That's not wrong. That's biblical. That's, that's Christian living, is it not? That's what we want to do. We want to meet together and edify each other and build each other up and, and all the things that come along with that. But we don't want to start forming groups of people that are supernatural and these people over here that are more powerful and these people that are the pity people. and these We don't want to do that because what we're doing when we do that is we're negating the one body. We're not protecting the gift, the major gift. Not the gift that you and I have, the gift of this church that was given by Jesus Christ when he died and rose again, when he was sacrificed for our transgressions. We don't want to do that. Think for a moment about music again. Have you ever listened to music that was nothing more than noise? I have. I don't know if you guys have. Some of you might think, yeah, I listen to it every day when I walk down the street, but whatever. I have a cousin who thinks he's a musician. He gave me a CD, and I was like, dude, like my three-year-old could have done like just the same thing. It's just like, ding, 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 just like all kinds of noise, right? What if your music worship team got up and the drummer decided he was going to play the bass with the drumsticks and just do his own thing. And the bass player was going to go on the drums and just like twiddle on the sides of the drums. And all the people decide to take their position and go and take their gifting and do it the way that they were supposed to design to do it with the wrong instrument. What would that sound like? Would that not be irritating at least, right? It would be a little bit unnerving as you would just hear a bunch of noise. Well, have you ever thought that even music has order? Even music has order. A beautiful arrangement of music is made up of order. The guitar player has a part. The singer has a part. The drummer has a part. We, they all function together to make the song. Have you ever went to, a, I don't know, I'm, I hope I don't bag on anyone on this, but some music, you know, there's someone who just wants to play all the time. And, and that's okay, because there are virtuosos out there, right? But sometimes it can just be irritating, because there's this one guy, and he's just like soloing 10 minutes. You're like, dude, I know you're good. You don't have to keep going. Like, I'm going to die right now, you know? But that does happen, right? So God is a God of order, and he has established an order in the church through each member to work together for his glory. We cannot disobey God's calling on our lives within the body of Christ and expect unity. We cannot love one another if we're prideful, arrogant, covetousness, or pitiful. We cannot do this of our own desires or our own motives. We fail in this daily, and it's impossible for us to do on our own. But what would the church look like if we embraced the design that God had for us individually and for his body? What would that look like? Beautiful amazing, diverse, ethnically, socially, race, different status, all these things. And people would go, where did you get this from? Where, how do you do this? This is just not possible. The world knows this isn't possible. I mean, come on, you guys. Most of the people in the world are on antidepressants, they're going to see counselors. We're messed up people. We're messes. We need Jesus Christ. We need him to build us up in all these things so we can function as one. We need to function as one body. So thirdly, let's look at the body as one in unity. Verses 25 and 26. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God's compositional design. 
God composed us, each one of us, to be image bearers. What does that look like? Submitting positionally to one another. I gave you the example of the Trinity, right? So we're all submitting to each other. We're all working in our giftings. We're all working in regards to uh, the different uh, positions that God has given us, pastor, teacher, whatever your role might be, right? Think of it like this. I love this because the Hebrew is so great in explaining this. In the Hebrew, there's a word called shomer. And shomer is Hebrew for someone who's given charge of safeguarding or cultivating something for another. That's who we are. That's who you are. We're all shomers. We've been given this gift of safeguarding and cultivating the earth for Jesus Christ because we're his body now, right? He isn't here anymore, but he's in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the word says, correct? So Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're the shomer. We're cultivating. We're living in this. We're living through it. Let's look at creation for a second, really briefly. Adam was created to lead Eve Spiritually, emotionally, and physically. I'm going to take a drink again real quick. Eve was created as his helpmate. I can already hear what you're thinking, some of you guys. You guys are like, yeah, I'm the head. Like, just, you got to do what I say, right? Because isn't that what happens with position? Is like a lot of people want to lord it over people. I'm the boss. You listen to me. That's not how the body works, though. We submit out of love, do we not? Women might be thinking, well, I'm the one who runs the show anyway, so what's the big deal? You know, I'm the one that's taking care of it. And I know this isn't universal. I'm just making these up for examples. But when Eve was being tempted by the serpent, Adam was right there with her. It's funny how you don't think about that, but he was there. He's there. Serpent's going, Eve, blah, blah, blah. Adam's standing there, nothing. Serpent says this, blah, blah, blah. Adam, nothing. No response. That's because he's silent. He was not taking his position that God had given him. Most people put the blame on Eve. Isn't that what we always hear? You ate the apple, and the women are all like, oh, yeah, we've heard that a million times. Like, come on. When, in fact, if Adam had embraced his position as the leader of the family, he might have protected Eve instead of just standing by. Now, I'm not saying this, like, to come up with this whole thing. We know the fall is just stinks and we're all part of it but what if we did the what if we lived out our position in that way see we've been given order even in the church when we pervert this order through passivity or influence positively or negatively we distort god's perfect plan for us as image bearers of him and for his kingdom to image bearers of ourselves and our kingdom which is not of god we are not image bearers of ourselves we are not God on earth. We are not the mighty person that we might think we are. We are just blessed that we're even saved. I mean, I wake up every day and I go, God, I I don't even understand your grace. How did you take me, a total messed up kid that was like all over the place and had all these problems and spoke the word into my heart and changed my life? How did that happen? It's only by grace. When we are trying to live our own kingdom, that is not of God. We need to examine ourselves daily. Paul tells us to do that. Sometimes even these sins become subtle. We don't even realize we're building our own kingdom. We think, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm living the kingdom of God. I want to see Christ reign. I want to see people saved. But we're like, we've got our own thing going. We've got to examine ourselves daily. We were not created for our own kingdom on earth. God created the church to care for one another, that there would be no division in the body, as it says in the word that we just read. But what causes division in the body? I was thinking about this a little bit, and I know, once again, I'm not being exhaustive on this, but some of the things I was thinking about that cause division, mostly they all stem from a couple things, lack of relationship or broken relationship. Think about it. Someone sins against you. I'm not going to There's no way I'm forgiving that person. I was hurt. I thought they were my best friend. How could they do that to me? All these things are running through your mind. See, what causes division with this lack of relationship is the objectification of others that allows us to sin against them. 
Because once you go there, once you start thinking about, I didn't deserve this, how did they do this to me, and your mind starts racing with all these things, what happens? You start going, that guy's a jerk. That person is blah, blah, blah. That person's this. And now, instead of the relationship that you once had, you are now calling them certain things and turning them, instead of personally in a relationship, objectively into some other entity. And it's interesting when you think about this. Relationship always destroys objectification. When you come to somebody with repentance, when you come with forgiveness, when you uh, come in that way and God restores that, there's no more objectification, is there? Because now the relationship is brought back together. This is what's interesting. Think about this. When, when, it's, when you see a person as an object, it's easy for, easier for you to sin against them. And, and I, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, I think about Nazi Germany. Okay, what did they do before they started doing all the things with the Jewish people? They started turning them into objects. They started making propaganda things, saying they were pigs, or they were this, or they were that. And then the people start going, yeah, they're pigs. Yeah, they're this. Yeah, they're that. And all of a sudden, they had taken away the humanization of those people, turned them into objects, and now they could go, yeah, just get rid of them. Get rid of them because we want to live our own lives. We know it's an atrocity. It's, it's beyond anything we can imagine. But, but we as people tend to objectify things like that. Now let's look at God's compassionate design. We, we've looked at you know, the, God's compositional design that, that he composed us to be image bearers and that he's composed us for relationship. But now let's look at God's, God's plan to... Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Sorry. God's compassionate design. Wow. Um, to suffer with each other to suffer with each other. In verse 26, it says to suffer with each other and to rejoice with each other. Two different things. I think about when suffering with each other. Do you tend to, when you see someone suffering, recoil or do you tend to run towards that? You know, we, my wife and I have been blessed the last few years. God's given us this food ministry thing that happens in our front yard. It's a total mess. It's totally just crazy. We go to Trader Joe's, they donate food, we bring it, people that have need come get the food, whatever. And the beauty of this is, is not just the fact that God's provision is involved, physically I should say, but also that God's provision is involved spiritually. Because I can tell you almost every week there's someone in our house and somebody's praying over them. There's somebody that's hurting and someone's coming alongside them. There's someone who's just had a hard time because, let's face it, man, life can be hard. You just want to give up sometimes, man. It's, it's hard. And we need each other to be built up in the body of Christ. So that compassion, that compassion is the same compassion that Jesus had when he looked upon the sheep and he saw that they were without a shepherd. It's that same compassion that we need to have for one another. When people are hurting, you know what? Sometimes I, I think of Job a lot. Sometimes just being there for someone is something, isn't it? You're just there for someone. They know that you care about them. They know that you're there because you love them, and you're just being there for them. Sometimes God gives you a word. Sometimes he doesn't give you a word. It's just that compassion, that that love for people and caring about them in their misery or in their toil that they're going through. But what about rejoicing with one another? How about when somebody comes up with this great news. Hey, man, you won't believe it. I just got this new job. I'm making all this money. It's going to be awesome, man. I'm going to be able to like, give more to the church and do all these things. And you're like, I didn't get a job. You're like, I, what's up with that? Like, my job's not. Why? How could God give that? I don't understand what's going on. Why is that person doing this? And That's covetousness, too. We're falling into the same trap. We should be rejoicing with one another. We should be having compassion for one another. This is what the church looks like. This is what the body of Christ is is completely one as when we're functioning in this kind of order. So God designs places, God's design places self to the side and others to the forefront. And like I said, this can get tiring, but 
It's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say this several times because you can, you can be going, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that. Have you asked lately? Does the Holy Spirit not say, ask and I will give? Have you been asking? Do you continue to ask? Are you like the woman who wouldn't stop asking, that kept knocking, that kept bugging? That's what God wants. Think about this for a second. When your kid comes up to your little kid, and, and, and like if my son came up to me right now and he walked up the thing and he said, hey, Dad, I'd be like, hey, what's up? You're, like you're interrupting me, but what's up? But you would, you would do that because you care for that person. You, you care for them. And so you're in a place where you will submit yourself to that because you're, you're, you're putting yourself second. You're putting them before you. We, as Christians, and I know that we're all, you know, we all know, a lot of us know these things, but we have to remember that this is important for us. Lastly, let's look at the body as one in Christ. Now, that, now we've seen the things that we should do. We've seen the things that we fail at. We've seen the things that we want to do. Now let's look at Jesus. Jesus is the universal Savior. He came to us in our desire to usurp his authority. We wanted to rebel against him. He came to us, right? The creator and Savior who designed all that we live and see loves us even in our rebellion. Jesus desires for all to come to him. He doesn't care about race, status, creed, anything. He doesn't care. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who, are, uh, who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. There are none that are disqualified. No outcast that cannot walk into his arms of love. No one is beyond the saving grace of Jesus. No one is beyond his power to work within us as a body. Secondly, Jesus understands diversity. Though he was our savior, he was the outcast. He's the one who was broken, beaten, and abused. He was the outcast. He knows how hard life can be because he himself went through such toil and torment. Jesus understands our fallen nature. He's given us the Holy Spirit as our helper to enable us to live out this Christian life. He does not expect perfection this side of heaven. John 1.9 gives us the, the perfect uh, uh, remedy for that, does it not? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the universal Savior who understands unity in diversity. Jesus is the universal Savior who understands unity in diversity. That's what he wants for the church. And he's given us the ability by what he's done to live that out. So we can live out our lives positionally before the world in harmony and grace because of Jesus. We can be content with his giftings on our lives because his glory within us enables us to do that. We can follow his path, leaving Ur as Abraham once did, to pursue God even when it makes no sense. And I'm going to close now with a with a little um, quote that I found in a book that I just read called The Road Trip That Changed the World by Mark Sayers. Great read. I loved it. He talks about our lives and what it looks like, how we're totally striving to have this individual, unique thing, and how we struggle with that as Christians. He says, So it is now up to you and me to leave Ur, to depart from Haran, to not be swayed by the lures of the lush valleys or the promises of Eden, but to go with Abraham, Walk out the land that God has given us. To look out into a reduced world and see death. To see life in a world that has reduced transcendence to consumer goodies. To pick up our once forgotten identities as the shomer of creation. To not consume the world, but to cultivate and create. To not pave the world with the asphalt of superhighways, but instead to build gardens amongst the concrete. So as the body of Christ, his hands and feet on earth, let's, let us now go forward cultivating and culturing the soil that he's given us. He's given us his body. He's given us his life. He's given us new life. He's given us the ability to live this life vicariously, not just getting by, but, but vital, but fervent. He wants us to enter in with him. He wants us to be one as the body. Now, before we, we start singing and, and worshiping God, I just want you guys to take a moment and reflect. Is there something in your life that is preventing the unity in the body? <clears throat> I'm not saying that anyone is. I'm not pointing fingers. 
Think about this. Is there someone that you've sinned against that you're just living in torment with because you know that you've turned them into an object? Give it to Jesus today. How about some of you that have never even experienced any of this? You're like, man, you've just talked a lot. What's going on? All these gifts, all these blessings are readily available to you. I want you, as you're meditating, as the band is playing, to reflect on these things and to seek Jesus for them. He is the author. He's the perfecter. He's vicarious. He's living in and through us and with us today, and he wants all these things for us. Amen? This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.